Thank you, Becca. Good morning, Bethany Norris. So good to be back with you guys after a couple weeks away. Um, we are continuing our sermon series on the life of Moses called Art of the Journey, skipping over some of the narrative in Exodus of the giving of the law because we're focusing not necessarily on Exodus but on Moses' life and excited to have a message for you today titled Developing a Faith that Sees God Again and Again and Again and Again. We want to see God. Will you pray with me this morning? Father, thank you so much for these moments that we've shared already and the moments that are coming. We pray, Lord, that you would open our eyes and our ears and our hearts, that our lives, Lord, would be growing into all that you have for us. And we pray, Lord, no matter what state that we come here this morning, places of great tribulation or great triumph or places of joy or places of frustration, that we would be united here, men and women, young and old, under the authority of your scriptures, that you would continue to mold us and make us like you. Lord, truly, we want to see you. We want to experience you. In your great name we pray. Amen. We're going to be studying today Exodus 32 and 33. Pray, uh, brought your Bible or a Bible app. We also have Bibles on the wings as you come in. Open your Bible. We're going to be looking at a lot of Exodus 32 and 33. Uh, on this title of a message, Developing a Faith that Sees God Again and Again. And the last couple of weeks I've been up in Canada. Some of you know my story that... For a while, I, I uh, owned and operated a fishing business in Canada when God called me into the church and was kind of confused because God's timing was not my timing. The church was going, the business was going. I saw the way that things should happen wasn't happening like that. It was very frustrating at times. And the last couple of weeks, I was up there working and really actually enjoying the time together. And it was a time of a lot of sentimentality as the end is near and we've sold the property and new people will be taking over in time. I could look back and see all the places uh, of joy of, of spending so much time in Canada taking people fishing. And then also, you know, remember storms and, and different tribulations. And, you know, the last couple of weeks have been just kind of this, this highlight reel. And I remembered the times in which that I, up there in Canada, I had looked really specifically for God to show up. See, I was a young man that was kind of on this long spiritual quest. Some of you were blessed to come to faith early in your life and you just kind of stayed the course. Others of you, later in life, you made a decision and, and kind of you went from black to white. But for me, there was this, this long gray period where I was searching for a deeper faith. I wanted to not just play religion. I didn't want to just, you know, pretend I believe some things. I, I, I told God, like, if I believe in you, I want to be all in. I want it to really take up residence with me and change the way that I lived. I saw people that had that kind of faith, and I said, I want something like that. But it took a long time. I remember as a young man, I was in Canada. I was working. I was trying to work my way up the depth charts and be a guide. And I remembered you know, scrubbing the boats one night and you know, a place of great frustration, great loneliness. And again, you can look back at these times in life, and they don't seem so bleak when you look backwards. But often when you're in the midst of these times, they feel quite difficult. And so I was in the season of just like wanting to experience God. God, I want to see you. And so I literally am like down on the dock by myself and like, God, just, you know, give me a sign. I want to see you. Like who hasn't, who hasn't prayed that prayer in this room, right? So I'm like, God, I want to see you. And all of a sudden, you know, there's, there's this eagle. And the thing with eagles up there, there's eagles everywhere up in Canada. They really are. But they don't land on the dock. They land in the trees. They land in the water. They land on the beach. But they don't land on the dock. That's where all the boats are tied up. That's where the guides clean fish. And there's a lot of traffic. The eagles do not often land on the dock. So I'm there on, you know, scrubbing, scrubbing the decks and just you know, looking for a sign. God, give me a sign. And pretty soon, you know, here's, here's this eagle. And I'm like, is this God? 
this is God in an eagle's bod? Like, what's happening here? You know, the eagle kind of circles me, and I'm like, yes, come on, give me a sign. And then the eagle, like, circles, circles, and then lands on the dock. And I'm, like, having this moment, like, I'm looking deep into the eagle eye, you know, and I'm almost expecting him to talk to me. There was no talking eagles. That was, it's not a hallucination. This actually happened. Like, I'm there, and the eagle, and he's sitting on the dock, and it was very simple at one level, It was profound at another, because in that moment, I felt like I wanted God to show me a sign, and God showed up. Now, the challenge when God shows up in specific ways is if you're like me, we want to have this on-demand experience with God. Like, we become the Harry Potter of the spiritual life, right? Like, you know, God, can you do this? And God, will you show up here? And God, can you do this? And it doesn't often work that way. And I had this moment with the eagle and and even this last week to think back on the different times in life where God showed up in specific ways up in that specific context. And then many other times when the way in which I want God to show up, he showed up differently because God is God. And who am I? And we arrive today in the text, Exodus 32 and 33, under this, under this title, developing a faith, growing a faith that can actually see God. We, we want to we not be religious people. We don't want to be pious people. We don't want to be just you know, defined by what we're against. We want to experience God. How do we grow a faith that can actually see God? And how can we see God even if life turns out differently than we expect. Exodus 32, the people don't worship God well because God doesn't show up in the way that he expects. And Exodus 33, Moses has this beautiful encounter with God where God brings him up on the mountain. He says, you will experience me. I will pass by. You'll see, you'll see my back. Moses had this ability to see God. And so Moses' journey, 3,500 years ago, we want to be a guide to us. The scriptures are meant to enliven us, challenge us, strengthen us on our own faith journeys today as we continue to learn about the art of the journey. And so we're going to look at Exodus 32 and the the danger of delay and Exodus 33, how to jumpstart our journeys, all under this big idea that our ability to actually experience God grows through all seasons, all seasons seasons, even the silent ones and the waiting ones, if we develop faith that helps us see God again. I, I, I got I to tell you, if I could just, I'm just going to put it out there, that after the last service, a number of people came up and said, God was really speaking to me. So maybe God's going to challenge you this morning on either the danger of delay in your life or how to jumpstart your journey Let's look at the scriptures together. The first point in your outline you have in the back of your bulletin, the danger of delay. This is Exodus 32. We're people of the text. We don't worship the Bible. We worship the God of the Bible, but we we learn from the Bible. The Bible is constantly teaching us and shaping us and molding us. So look what happens here in Exodus 32. And I will just, we'll just pause real quick because Exodus tells the real story of this real man named Moses who at the age of 80 leads the nation of Israel across, out of captivity, across the Red Sea, through the desert, uh, towards the promised land. In the previous couple of chapters, God has given them the law. Moses is gone. Where, where the heck is Moses? Moses is on the mountain. He's talking to God. He's getting the commandments. But the people are down below, and they don't know what's taking so long. And there's amazing, difficult things that we encounter 
when we wonder what's taking God so long. Look at chapter 32, verse 1 through 7. Now, when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people assembled about Aaron, the priest, and said, Come, make us a God who will go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up from the land of Egypt, we do know not what has become of him. And Aaron said to them, Tear off the gold rings which are in your ears of wives and sons and daughters and bring them to me. And the people tore off their gold. And Aaron took it from the hand and he made a molten calf. And then he said, This is your God, O Israel, who brought you up from the land of Egypt. Now when Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it. Here are these religious terms that are being used. He built an altar before the, the calf, the, the golden cow. And Aaron made a proclamation and said, Tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord the Lord of the golden calf. So the next day they rose early and they did burnt offerings and they brought peace offerings and the people sat down to eat and drink and they rose up to play and the Lord spoke to Moses, go down at once for your people whom you brought up from the land of Egypt, they've corrupted themselves. So Moses is up on the mount. He's up there for several weeks and during the delay, even though the people had seen God before, in the delay, it creates confusion. And in the delay, it creates dissension. And in the delay, it's not growing their faith. In the delay of what God isn't doing at the foot of this mountain, the mountain shrouded in cloud, they say, God isn't showing up in the way we want. Let's fashion an idol of our own devices. And then notice how religious they get. There's proclamations, there's feasts, there's sacrifices, there's offerings. They've got everything for a worship service except God himself. And I got to tell you, it's incredibly convicting for me to read these words. And how often in the Christian life we can go about business as usual with everything present except the faith that God's going to show up. Like, did you show up this morning and think, God's going to come this morning. I know the Spirit's going to come. God's just going to show up. I hope so. I mean, for me, like, I, I, I've just, I used to watch the pastor of the church I grew up in, and I would watch his face before he went on stage, and he looked nervous, and I'm like, why are you nervous? Like, you're just going to get up and talk about God. But how often We make it about us. I make it about me, my story, my words, my humor, my diction. The people of Israel show up to do a worship service with everything but God himself. And if we create a a church here at Bethany North that's religious, that's pious, that's holy, and missing God, we will have failed. We don't want to be the most religious people in the community. We want to be the most faithful. The people experiencing God. These people saw something. They said something. They experienced God. And when you have not been experiencing God, it's time to wake up and experience him again. And if you're in a season of waiting, my heart is with you and I stand with you. Do not grow content with a God who never shows up in your life anymore. He longs to show up. And when we, when we stop expecting him to show up, our mind goes to fashioning little idols. We just work a little bit more. Or we pour ourselves fully into this next plan to get out of high school or into college or into graduate. If I, if I perfect this little calf of my plan, I don't need God to show up so much. In my singleness, in my marriage, in my career, no matter whatever stage, we just start to focus down, not experiencing the fullness of God in the everyday, but experiencing the joy that we say, well, I guess, 
I guess it's about the life that I can make for myself. And I love great lives that we make for ourselves. But as God's people on a journey, can we still expect God to show up? Can we still expect to see him and encounter him? Because for the people here of Israel, it's a warning for us that the delay creates dissent. And they want to see God instantly. They want to see God specifically. And when it doesn't, when God doesn't show up in that way, when Moses doesn't come down the mountain in a certain timeline, they go to fixing it in their own solutions. If you're a fixer like me, this is a challenge. Because sometimes God has us wait. I mean, like the fishing launch, some of you have been on this journey with me for years. It's like we can look back now and realize some of what was taking so long. But in the moment, it's like, what are you doing, God? was taking so long. And your delays in your journeys can be opportunities for your faith to grow. Everything we face, it becomes this question. God, is my faith in you growing or am I slowly performing worship services where I don't think you're going to show up anymore? It's a warning for us. Exodus 32. We've been studying all the pastors of this this old theologian that Richard has brought to the table, his notes on the Pentateuch, this guy by the last name of Macintosh, and here's what he says. He says, alas, alas, it has ever been thus in man's history. The human heart loves something that can be seen. A love, it loves that which meets and gratifies the senses. It is only faith that can endure as seeing him who is invisible. And so as Tim Keller says, with idols in our life, whatever they are, work or our children or our retirement plans or our career or our whatever, that idols can't merely be taken down, that idols need to be replaced. And so I'll ask you, what in your life does God need to replace? What in your life do you find yourself thinking about more often than about experiencing God? God, it might be challenging this morning I don't want to be set on a shelf in your life. I want you to experience me. I want to be your focus. I want you to call out to me. Our faith can be growing through these times of delay. Hebrews 11.1, 1, now faith is the confidence in what we hope for and the assurance about what we do not see. So faith is by its very nature something that grows in the absence of physical evidence. And yet, we love the evidence. We want eagles landing on demand. We want people that we pray for to get healthy and not pass away. We want jobs we applied for to come. We want these things, and it's not bad. We're, we want to know that God hears us, and we're human. And the Israel people here, they're, they're human. So we can empathize with their journey, but it's a warning. Because in those delays in our life, when we aren't hearing from God, he's not showing up, and maybe situations turning out differently, that's the time when Satan just loves to whisper in your ear, he's not going to show up. He never shows up anymore. Do you notice how he's been silent for so long? I don't think he's coming. We start to just hear the whispers. And God's silence compounded with the enemy speaking lies into us. We start to drift. It says, don't drift. Be my people. See me, and I want to see you. And your life may turn out differently than you will anticipate. But see me in the each and the every day. May these delays, whatever you're facing, may be opportunities to grow your faith. Because real faith is believing even in the middle of the waiting times.
like Olympic coverage right now. You know, we love Bob Costas voiceover. I mean, I love, I'd love to have a Bob Costas voiceover of my life. He gets out of the shower and he, you know, like it just all sounds so important. And they tell these stories and the best stories in the Olympics are which ones? They're the hardest ones. The most adversity, the one that would never, you know, make it into the pool, that would, you know, never learn gymnastics without the loss of the ground. Like, we, this becomes good television. But in our own faith life, it becomes frustrating. God is saying, stay with me and trust me in the ways that I'm showing up in your life, that I'm making your faith stronger. Trust me. Do not turn to hidden idols of greed or lust or self-sufficiency, or your own planning, or, or anger. But may your faith in God grow. And what happens when Israel turns not into a growing faith, but into idols of their own design? God gets really mad. Like, we just need to deal with that in Exodus 32, that there are repercussions for decisions that, that don't result in trusting God more with our lives. Look at verse 8 through 11 of, of Exodus 32. They've quickly, God said, he's telling Moses, he's like baffled. It's like, how many times do I have to show up for these people? They've quickly turned aside from the way which I commanded them. They've made themselves a molten calf. God's basically giving Moses the play-by-play. The Lord said to Moses, verse 9, I've seen this people... They're an obstinate people. Now then let me alone and my anger may burn against them that I may destroy them and I will make you a great nation. This is a troubling verse, 32.10. Everything that God's done right now is set upon a condition, a condition that Israel is not obeying God well enough and God is ready to move on. Because in the Old Testament before Christ, there was a covenant situation. We were in a conditional relationship with God. God laid out his conditions and was waiting for the people to obey in sacrifice, in obedience, and in, the, in Christ coming on the cross. Christ has laid all that aside. And Christ made a way for us to, despite the fact that we'll never be good enough with the covenant. But here in the old covenant, verse 11, Moses reminds God about God's faithfulness. Moses entreated the Lord as God and said, Oh Lord, why does your anger burn against your people whom you brought up from the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand? So God is mad and, and, and Moses reminds him of, of the relationship, reminds him. Look at verse 12. Why should the Egyptians speak uh, with evil intent? He brought them out to kill them in the mountains and destroy them in the face of the earth. And then Moses says this in verse 12b, turn God, turn from your anger and change your mind about doing harm to your people. Friends, you, you can understand the way in which God moves through 32.12. We worship a dynamic God. We worship a God that hears his people, that wants to care for his people, and in situations is willing to change. And some theologians wrestle over Exodus 32. No, God what doesn't really change. God is all-knowing. God can't change. And he's just making Moses think he changes. But it sure seems clear here that God is angry with the lack of Israel's obedience. And it's Moses in, in kind of begging God to make a change that changes God's mind. Is your faith big enough to think that God can still change things? Is your faith strong enough to trust Whatever happens after you pray. That was really convicting to me. I've told you guys before. That sometimes I'm the kind of guy that's like, are we going to pray? Or are we going to do something? And early on in this church, smarter people than me came to me and said, stop saying that. 
when we pray, we are doing something. Is your faith big enough to think you can pray and God hears you? Is your faith strong enough that you will trust what happens no matter how you pray? Sometimes we pray and when they don't get healthy or when the situation doesn't change or the marriage doesn't get better or this child doesn't obey or your mom is still... Like when these things happen, it's hard to continue to believe that our prayers work. We see in Exodus 32 that God does want to hear from us, that God does want to change. And then look what happens here. Moses kind of gets God to change his mind, but then verse 19, 24, then Moses gets mad because the price of disobedience and idolatry is anger and broken relationship. Look what happens in verse 19 through 24. Moses comes down the mountain. So as soon as Moses comes near the camp, he saw the calf, he sees the dancing, Moses' anger burned. And he threw the tablets with the Ten Commandments. He throws the tablets and he shattered them at the foot of the mountain. He's about to go back up in future chapters and get new commandments. But he's so angry, he, he throws the tablets. He took the calf of which they'd made. He burned it in the fire, ground it in powder, scattered it over the surface of water, made the sons of Israel drink it. And Moses said to Aaron, what did this people do to you that you brought such great sin upon them? And then Aaron said, do not let your anger burn. He quotes back what's happened. They said to me, make a God for us, and, and this is your God. And in verse 24, Aaron said, and I said to them, whoever has any gold, let them tear it off. So they gave it to me. And, and listen to this from Aaron. He's like, and I, I threw the gold into the fire, and then poof, out came this calf. Aaron's just flabbergasted. I mean, he's just, he's just absolutely lying to Moses. He's like, you know, it's not really my fault. It was, it was the people's expectations. And you had been taking a really long time. And we all know that delay creates dissent. And so Aaron's just kind of like, hey, it's not really my thing. Like this calf, this little golden animal came walking out of the fire. It's a miracle, you know. And, and he's just absolutely making excuses for his own decisions. He's absolutely unable to confess what he's done and own it. And friends, there is a warning in Exodus 32. We need to be people that can confess our sins. Every one of us in this room, though we like to pretend that we're, we're above sinning, every one of us is a sinner saved by grace. And, and Exodus 32 reminds us that we have repentance available, but we've got to enter into repentance with God. Say, I'm sorry. Say, I blew it. Say, I got it wrong. Say, I made a mistake. Because death and destruction comes from the result of being unable to own your mistakes. Only confessing hearts, friends, feel the safety of being forgiven. And at the end of 32, we're not going to go all the way into it. It's a troubling passage. Moses says, who wants to stand on the side of the Lord? Who wants to just say, I blew it? Come on over. Who can confess? And then those that were stuck in their ways, they were killed. And though there's a million people, 3,000 people died by the sword that day. We read that as a modern mindset and we're like, ah, what is this Old Testament God trying to say? But could we just say the result of sinful lives is death? Like if you sin against your spouse, your marriage will die, either overnight or over the course of the next hundreds of days. If you sin in your business practice, your, your business will slowly die. If you sin against God, the, the, the nature of sin is things are dying. We don't like to think about that very much, but this text makes it really clear. Repentance is available when we enter into it. 
And if we're stuck in sinful, idolatrous ways, thinking, hey, God's cool with every decision I make, the result will be death. I'm talking metaphorical. I'm talking death to a faith that believes God will still show up. And so we're called to not let delay destroy our faith. And the art of the journey is forged as we take responsibility for places that we've blown it and missed it. We can wait well. I mean, the best story of waiting, and I've used this as a sermon illustration before, but it's, it's, it's all I got. It's the best there is for people that wait well. The story of the endurance, one of the great stories of human survival during the, the Great Ice Age, Ernest Shackleton, 1914 through 1917, he was going to take a group of men and be the first men to cross all of Antarctica. But they miscalculated, and things turn out differently than we expect. And so the boat froze in the sea, and they waited in their boat, stuck in the ice. And then slowly, the ice fractured the boat, the boat sank, and then they waited on the ice for months and months. And then they loaded up in lifeboats. This actually happened in 1914, 15, 16, and 17. They lived on ice floes, living off seals, 28 men, a feat of endurance that no, no other humans have ever been able to accomplish. And they took lifeboats to an uninhabited elephant island. They lived there for months. And then they sent five people, including the captain, 800 miles to a tiny little island in, in, in the Antarctic Ocean called South Georgia Island. And they waited there, not knowing what was going to happen. But it was the best thing they had was to bond together and wait for help to come. And so when Shackleton showed up almost eight, nine months later, because... They had to sail over there and then hike. And I mean, it's an incredible story. You can read all about it. He comes sailing to South Alphen Island and he's greeted with this scene. Every single man accounted for. They all survived, not by their individual strength, but by the way they worked together. They understood their survival depended on each other. And historians would later track the men of the endurance and every one of them would make a significant impact into World War I in their countries of origin because they now knew their life mattered. Waiting on an iceberg, they were actually writing this amazing story of endurance. You have no idea what story God is writing in your life even while you wait. Some of you are waiting for the next chapter, for the next relationship, for the next thing to begin. And God is saying, even now, allow your faith to be growing. We look back and we can see these chapters and epochs and times and things just kind of categorize themselves well. And as we live out into the future, it's hard to know, God, are you growing my faith or not? God is saying, I'm doing something with you, so trust the steps, trust the days. Don't let the delay turn you away. Allow your faith to grow. And then Exodus 33 begins with this, the journey gets jump-started. And some of us this morning, this is going to be an encouragement for us, like, man, I just, I need, I need to see God again. I want my journey jump-started. Look at Exodus 33, verses 1, 2, and 3. The Lord spoke to Moses, get up, depart, go up from there, get going. You and the people who you brought up from the land. And I'm going to send you ahead, verse 3, go up to the land flowing with milk and honey. I'll not go up in your midst because you're an obstinate people. I might destroy you on the way, God's saying. There are some repercussions from the places of disobedience, but I'm sending you now with, with my blessing. Go ahead and get the journey jump-started. 
And it's this amazing piece here in Exodus 33 that's going to end with Moses going on the rock and seeing God that some people, as they wrestle in Exodus 33, it's confusing. So if you've been with us and listening either online or coming on Sundays, you know that Moses had this relationship. Moses is special in the story of God because he had this relationship where he saw God. He experienced God. He, he, he was able to have this relationship where he encountered God. It says this in verse 7 through 11 of chapter 33. Moses used to take the tent, pitch it outside, and he would go meet with God face to face. So Moses has this relationship. All of Israel sitting here watching Moses in the tent. And praise be to the Lord. We don't need Moses. We don't need a tent. We have a Savior, Jesus, that came so that each and every one of us has access any time we want. We don't need somebody else to lead us to the presence of God. Jesus has called us, each and every one, by name and says, come and draw near to me. I want to be with you. But Moses has this, this surprising relationship with God. But if you look at verse 20 of Exodus 33, God gives different instructions Moses is saying, God, I want to see you. I want to know you're giving me plans. I want to know exactly what you're going to do. And God says, you cannot see my face, Moses, for no man can see me and live. And then the Lord says, behold, there's a place by me where you should go up on a rock and I will, I will pass by you. What's going on here? Some people, as they write about Exodus 33, they call this the paradox of faith. Which is it? Are we able to meet with God face to face? Or are we supposed to hear these words of God in verse 20 of Exodus 33 that we can't actually see God? And it's both, unfortunately. It's both. Moses has this intimate affair with God where he's able to have communion and God gives him really specific step-by-step instructions. But now when Moses wants, wants God to give him the specific plan in, in verses you know, 10 through 13, God says, it's going to be differently than you expect. I will show you my glory. I will not give you a map. And that's a tough one for us. Because if you're like me, You would love a map. God, what are you doing with this time, this relationship, this job, this purpose? And God says, I will give you my presence. I will not always give you a map. And Moses is like, give me a sign, Lord, I want a sign. And God just says, I want to be present to you. Listen to the message paraphrase in this part of Exodus 33. The message paraphrase, Moses says to God, look, tell me, lead this people, but you don't tell me, God, whom you're going to send with me. You told me, I know you're well and you're special to me. If I'm special to you, let me in on your plans, says Moses. Let me in on your plans. That way I'll continue being special to you. Don't forget, God, this is your people, your responsibility. And then God said, my presence will go with you. I'll see the journey to the end. See, we want God to do certain things in certain times. We want to call that eagle down on demand. And how nice it would be. And once in a while, God obliges. But many times in my own faith journey, God shows up in ways that I don't even understand in the moment. And so if we're going to be people learning to see God again and again and again, it means broadening our perspective and understanding that God is already showing up. Listen to Psalm 57. Psalm 57 says, Be gracious to me, O God. Be gracious to me. My soul takes refuge in you, and in the shadow of your wings I will take refuge until destruction passes by. And the encouragement to us as God's people is to find ourselves already anchored in God's story and already in a place where God is wrapping his arms around me. 
Now, as anyone in my family will tell you, I'm no fan of birds. So the idea of God like wrapping a giant wing around me absolutely freaks me out. I do not want a vision of God as like this giant bird that scares me. But the idea of God wrapping his arm around me and drawing me close and protecting me and saying, this is the moment I have you in. Live here now. Be present here now. I know you want plans, but instead seek presence. And maybe that could be the prayer on our lips. When we're in seasons where we want God to show up in specific ways, we could be asking God, let me trust that you're already here. Will you wrap your arms around me? We want to see God, and God wants to be seen, but often in a way differently than we expect. You remember in Genesis 32 when Jacob wrestles the angel? Jacob has to go back and face Esau, a man that he wronged. And Jacob's a broken man that God has, has loved and God has stayed faithful to, even when he makes mistakes. And then this, this episode happens where he wrestles the angel, and they wrestle all night. And, and you know, Jacob wants his experience with God. He wants God to fix his relationship with his brother. He wants God to give him land and, and provide for him, and instead he gets a wrestling match? Like, how consistent is that actually sometimes with our, with our faith journey? So yeah, Jacob is, is wrestling the angel, the angel of the Lord, and Jacob says, tell me your name, because our mind wants to be able to qualify things. We want plans, we want answers, we want specific things. Jacob says, tell me your name, and the angel says, why do you ask my name? And then the angel blesses him there. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, It's because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. And remember what happens? Jacob, from the wrestling match, he walks with a limp. And it's this limp that leads him back to see his brother. He wanted to see God, and instead, he got a handicap. But it's the limp that leads him back to forgiveness and to truth-telling and to changing some of the selfish ways and entering the fullness of God's story. Is it amazing God's presence would come in a limp, in a wrestling match? It's so consistent with people I'm walking with right now. Friends, maybe this morning you're in a place you feel like, I, I want to see God again, and it feels more like toil than, and then just relaxation. And others of you are like, man, I'm actually in this place where God is just showering me with his presence. Wherever we find ourselves this morning, may we be people able to jumpstart our journey wanting to see God again. God says, I, I, I see you already. Stop trying to understand me with your head. Start experiencing me with your heart. One scholar writes about this passage that God's presence, get ready for this, is complicated. And I just laughed, and I'm like, yep, it sure is. But Exodus 33, God's people get going again towards the promised land. And though Moses wants God to give him plans, God gives him presence. He says, you can't see my face, but come up on the rock, and I'm going to pass by. I know, Moses, you want me to show up in these specific ways. You're asking to see me in a way that maybe I'm uncomfortable with, but I will be present to you in a way that you don't expect. So how do we actually see God again? For those of us that want to continue seeing him, and it's been like, oh man, I'm just in the presence of the Lord, and others, it feels kind of distant. What did Jesus say about it? Remember in John 13, Jesus says this. The disciples ask him, like, how do we just stay with you? How do we make sure that nothing ever changes? And Jesus says to his disciples, where I'm going, you cannot come. Verse 34, but a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, 
you also love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. This is amazing. Because what Jesus says, the disciples say, we want to see you with our eyes. We want to know that we're in your presence and have this plan. And we don't want anything ever to change from this moment around the Last Supper. And Jesus is saying, actually, everything will change. But as you love one another, you will testify that you love me. And as you see one another, you can see me. Face to face, Jesus is saying. Face to face, when we see each other in our journeys and we love people well and see them as Christ made them, we experience God through one another. This says one scholar, he said, each encounter we have with another person is an encounter with God himself and each face we see is the face of God. Not long after we started our muffin ministry at the junction and we started a Bible study, the leader of the Bible study, Leif, who gathers every Tuesday morning and teaches the Bible with whoever drops in. And he has all these moments of beauty and all these moments of struggles, very much real life. But early on, this guy at the end of the Bible study just grabbed me and said, hey, thanks. And Leif's like, what are you talking about? Thanks for the Bible study. Thanks for the muffin. Thanks for the space we developed. He's like, no, thanks for seeing us. No one else in this community even sees us. And scriptures tell us as we see each other well, we're able somehow to see God. And maybe you're in a place this morning where you feel seen by God. His arm is around you and the Lord is encouraging you. Be someone that sees others. Be somebody that loves your neighbor well. Stop in at the junction, buy a cup of coffee and engage someone that's in a different state, a place of mind and encourage them. Maybe some of you in this morning are like, man, I just need to be seen by others. May your, may your waiting, may your delay, may your, may your reality that's different than your anticipated life, may it create more faith, more opportunity for God to speak to you. It's a beautiful part of Genesis where Hagar, who was a slave girl outside of God's original story, but it brought into the family of God. She runs away, and God goes and finds her, and she names God El Roy. She's the only person in Genesis to name God. She says, I have now seen the God who sees me. And so as this church grows, as we start our sixth year of ministry, and we continue to do wonderful things, may this be our narrative. We see each other well. And the delay in our faith journeys does not create dissent. We're people growing in our faith journeys so that all times of life, the times of waiting, the times of silence, the times of joy, the times of heartache, each season becomes an opportunity. God, grow me to be more like you. Change me and make me more like you. These last two weeks, sitting up in Canada, working and thinking back of all these places, I thought about the eagle situation. I thought about other situations where God didn't show up as I had expected. But I had profound gratitude because I worship a God who sees me and who has taken care of me even through some really rocky times. He's been there. He's never abandoned me. May we be people telling that narrative. Our faith is growing in all times, even now. Will you pray with me? Father, thank you so much for our morning to worship you, to sing. Lord, to hear your scriptures, we just pray, Father, that for all of us this morning in this room, we would be in a journey where we feel like we're growing towards you, where we want to see you, want to experience you. For some of us, it's been a while, 
It's been too long. And so we pray, Lord, as we leave this space this morning, that whether it's the wonder of creation, whether it's the, the handhold of, of a brother or sister of faith, whether it's an act of confession to somebody in our life, Lord, that we would be, we'd be growing towards you. And we take the season that we're currently in, not one we wish to be in, and use this season to grow our faith. We want to be your people. God, be our God. Father, we also just pray for those people that just maybe feel like, a la Exodus 32, they're just they're struggling a little bit. They're at the base of the mountain, and it's been a while since you showed up, and maybe they've turned to some things that they regret now, Lord. They've turned to some, some idols of just trying to, to wait here, and there's been places or relationships or habits that have been destructive. Lord, we pray for the courage to confess in the silence of our hearts to you right now, Lord, to people this afternoon, later this week. We want this message to ring true in our lives, not just Sunday morning, but make it true Tuesday at lunch and Wednesday night and Friday morning, Lord, all week long. Grow our faith. We want to see you. We don't want religious worship services where everything's present, but we want to see you and encounter you. So even now, as we continue to sing, Lord, we just pray that your spirit would break forth, that we would see you in small places of our heart. In your great name we pray, amen.